0: Alright, adults, if you can um, open your Bibles to Ephesians, please, Ephesians uh, chapter number one. We're going to um, continue on in our our series in Ephesians. Now, it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians. We kind of took the summer off, really. Um, I I say summer. (laughs) We took a few months off. I don't know if we could class it as summer, but... Um, we took a few months off, but the, the last time, I'm sure you'll remember that we were looking at this, we began uh, in verse number 3, and I said to you at the time that verse number 3 the verse number 14 are one long sentence in the Greek, over 200 words. And uh, many commentators uh, drool over this because there's nothing like it really in kind of that language. It's, 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 it's glorious, basically. And we looked at just verse number 3 when we were together in Ephesians the last time. And we looked at the order of blessing, how God first blessed us. The object of blessing, that was us. And the origin of blessing, we bring it back to him, this full circle that's all of him, through him, and to him. This morning we're going to move on to verses 4 to 14. And I think I said the last time as well that the commentators look at these verses and they see the Trinity in them. Warren Wearsby being one who sees the plan of salvation as Trinitarian. That is, the Father was there, the Son's there, and the Spirit's there, all to the praise of God's glory. And what we want to do this morning is take a Trinitarian approach to this passage this morning. We want to see uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here in these verses. But the other Trinity that I want you to see as we go through and we look at this. So theologically we're looking at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Practically what I want you to see is, is position, purpose, privilege. These three things that encapsulate who we are in Christ Jesus. I've entitled this message, A Glorious Body, because really and truly that when we're saved through the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are placed into the body of Christ in him. You're going to see this phrase, in Christ, repeated a lot in Ephesians, especially in these passages. Um, you know, Ephesians, it's condensed with this positional truth. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the very centre and core of it. That if you're a Christian, you are in Christ. That's it. There's no ifs, buts or maybes in that. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, what do I mean by that? I mean that truly, honestly, not intellectually, not uh, circumstantially, not for others to see, but between you and God, the great transaction has taken place. What I mean by the great transaction? I simply mean this. That you have acknowledged that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. That your thoughts, your deeds, your actions are sinful in the eyes of a holy God. And that a holy God cannot look over sin. And sin has separated us from God. And the only way back to God is through Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And you acknowledge that and you cry out for God to save you. Your hand goes up, your hand of repentance goes up, and the hand of grace of God comes down, and the transaction takes place. His life for your life, the perfect life for the imperfect. And at that point, you are now placed into a glorious body in Christ. In Him. There's no other bits in that. This is simply the two sides of the coin. You're either in Him or you're outside of him. Outside of him, you face the wrath of God, the judgment of God for your sin, that's on you. But in him, you find forgiveness and redemption. We're going to see that as we get into the passage this morning. So being in Christ gives you access to these spiritual blessings, these heavenly blessings that we're going to see all because of the grace of God. Not worked for, not earned, not deserved, but given freely by a gracious God who has saved us and placed us in the body, this glorious body, the body of Christ, which he is the head, we are the body. It's beautiful. So as we think about this glorious body, as we think about our placement in it, we're going to see, as I've said this morning, and look through it, and we'll read the verses as we go, and we're going to see the Trinitarian aspect, Father, Son, and Spirit, but be mindful as we go through position, purpose, privilege. Position, purpose, privilege as we go through this this morning. So here's the first thought, you know, the placement into this glorious body, it's, it's planned by the Father. Now look at this in uh, verse number four as we're going to read through. First of all, we're selected by the Father. Now, we're going to be here a little bit this morning. So here, here's, here's what I want to say to you. Call us a prophetic word or whatever it may be. Your chickens may get a little burnt. If you're on a timer, it might be a little bit longer this morning. Who knows? Verse number four. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, here we see that the Father selected us, according as He has chosen us in Him. The in Him is in Christ. Who's the one that's doing the choosing? It's the Father. Now, we're, we're, we, we, there's many things in here. Number one, I want you, I want you to, before we get anywhere, I want you to say that we're chosen in Him. That's the caveat: chosen, but in Him. Okay, not chosen and put in Him. Chosen in Him. It says, before the foundation of the world, and here's the thing, our finite minds, you know what I mean when I mean finite? We have a beginning, we have an end. Each one of us sits here with a beginning and an end that the Lord knows. We're all finite beings. Well, God is not finite. He's infinite or infinite. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is eternal. And the issue with that is, church this morning, if we're honest, we cannot comprehend that. Because our minds are finite. We are not built to think like God thinks. We are not built and experience things that God experiences. We are not outside of time like God is. We are in time. So when we see this chosen from the foundation of the world, it's this great mystery that we can't really understand. How does God see time? (coughs) Not as we see it, we see beginning, we end. We look backwards, we look forwards. Past, present, and future. Listen to what John Phillips says about this. He says there's a mystery here that centers in the fact that we are finite and God is infinite. We are creatures of time. God inhabits eternity. We express our mode of being in three tenses of time. I was, I am, I will be. God expresses his mode of being in the eternal present. I am, I am, I am. Thus Jesus did not say before here Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 58. He was claiming eternity of being, coexistence with the Father, and his enemies considered his statement blasphemous. He was identifying himself as God. I am am. It is only God that ever lives in the I am. We live in I was, I am. Past, I was. Present, I am. Future, I will be. God doesn't live in that. God will never be something else. He never was something else. You understand that this morning. He always was and is. He lives in the eternal present. Now our minds cannot cope with that. Because we're finite beings. So the Holy Spirit writing here um, and leading Paul to write this statement before the foundation of the world. To us we look at it in time. But to God he's outside of time and he looks at that and that choice and now is the same to him. They're simultaneous events. Because there is no past, no present, no future where God is. So when we come along this and say, oh, there was a definite moment in time back there where God chose us and then he just looks. No, God is outside of all that. We're looking at it from human eyes. Since God lives in the present tense, there's no time difference between the moment he, he chose us in Christ and the moment we choose him. No difference. From God's perspective. But from our perspective, we see the Holy Spirit revealing to us that we have been on God's mind from our perspective since the very beginning of time. God wanted to redeem us. Before the foundation of the world. Beautiful truth. The purpose there, if you look at that as the position of being in him. The purpose That we should be holy and without love or without blame before him in love. This is the practical purpose or outworking of grace. That God chose us in Christ and in Christ we will be presented holy and blemished in the Father's sight. Why? Because it's his life for ours. It's beautiful. So the Father selected us. The Father also uh, destined us. Look at verse 5, or predestined us. Verse 5 of Ephesians uh, chapter 1 there says, Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now the position here is that we have been predestined. What does predestined mean? It simply means the plan or order in advance. You go to, this is the best illustration of this, so you want this word. You go to um, the the, uh, travel agent and you book your holiday through a holiday company and they say in the ticket that your flight departs from Manchester and it goes to uh, Turkey, just as we've done recently. I pay for those tickets. Those tickets are predetermined. My destination is Turkey. And the airline is responsible for getting me to Turkey. They've predetermined that I will get on that flight and that flight is predetermined to go to Turkey. Now if it lands somewhere else, some issue, the airline company is still responsible for what? Getting me to the destination that was predestined. Here it says that we are predestined what to? That's as important. Unto the adoption of children. Now what is the adoption of children? I want to make this clear. Wednesday nights we've done a little bit of this. English word adoption, different from the custom that's in the Greek. It's going on at the time here. Different. Different. Adoption in the English understanding is to take a person from one family, place him legally as one son or daughter. The Greek word means placing as a son. This is so important, church placing as a son. In these New Testament times, when a boy or girl was a minor, when they were a child, they differed little from a slave in terms of the rights they had. Turn to Galatians chapter number 4, verse 1. Galatians 4, 1. Here Paul writing says, in Galatians 4, verse number 1, now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differs or differing nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. This was the custom, the context. When you were a child, you did how many any rights. Not like today's stupid culture in this UK where it seems to be that the children are determining everything. That in this custom, there was a time when you came of age. And when you came of age, You went from being a child to being a son. And they actually had a ceremony that took place. When the child came of age, whatever that age uh, is, and it varies between the different customs, that they would then come and there would be a, a, a ceremony that took place where the public seen that this child had now become a son or a daughter. And the rights of the son or the daughter as heirs were now conferred. They could access their titles or their positions or whatever it may be. So the, the, the concept of adoption is simply this, that you're born into a family as a child. You're adopted in as a full son or daughter when you come of age, when you mature. This is the same for the believer. The believer is born again. Born into the family of God. Jesus taught this, didn't he? John 3, 3, said, The man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Paul writes about it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, All things are become new. You are entered into the family of God. You are a child of God. Born into it. Not adopted into that. Born into it as a child of God. But by adoption, you then become a mature son. When does that happen? Turn to Romans chapter number 8, verse 23. This is so important in understanding this. Because there are people who will use this portion of scripture as a proof text That God has chosen some for salvation. And chosen some for eternal damnation. And that's a misuse of the text. This is talking about position, purpose, privilege. Romans 8.23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits of the Spirit, born again child of God, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, waiting for the sun placement, the full maturity that's to come of what? The redemption of our body. When does that happen? At the resurrection, the glorification, the old body's gone. We will be like him for we will see him. That's the adoption. That's what lies ahead. That's the full maturity. Now we have some of the blessings associated with our inheritance. Yes, we're a child of God and there are things that come with that. There's still position and power and privilege. But it's not fully what it will be. That when we... uh, Experience the adoption, the fulsome place, and we are glorified. We enter into these promises that we are co heirs, that we will rule and reign with Christ. That is our privilege. That is the position that fully, finally lies ahead for us. And that's what we're predestined to. This is not talking about our salvation, this is talking about our glorification. That God has determined in Christ that when you're in him, this is where you're going. And nothing in your little journey will change that. Back to the air flight analogy. I have took off from Manchester. My ticket says I'm going to Turkey. There's an incident on the plane that has to land somewhere. They don't leave me there. They don't, that's not my final destination. It may be a detour. But ultimately, I'm going to end up at the place that I've ended up because that's what the ticket says. That's predestination. That when you're in Christ, you're a child of God and you are predestined, predetermined, whatever you want to call it, that one day you will enter into the full rights as a full son when you receive your glorified body. That's what this is teaching. That's what it's teaching. That's the position that it's talking about, verse 5. And look at the the purpose, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why has God done this? Determined that we will have all these rights as a full son. Church, this is for the church. Co-heirs with Christ, that's what Paul says in Romans 8. Why has he done this? He didn't have to do that. Your salvation is so more great and glorious than than we give it credit for. It's not simply just that God saved you from your sins and made you a child. That he has determined that you will enter into the full rights of a son. What is Christ's will be yours. His riches will be your riches. It's beautiful. Why? Because God is gracious. We don't deserve any of this. And God has given it. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Because when I read this, I'm just blown away. Not only would God save a wretch like me, but he would place me and say, one day you're going to be in a position where you're ruling me and reign with me, the creator of the universe. As grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Has that affected your life? Have you thought about that this morning as you sit here? Privilege. Position. And ultimately, we're going to say there's a purpose behind this. So the Father selected us, predestined us. Look at verse 6. The Father accepted us. To the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You know, psychologists will say today that the the greatest need for the human being, for the psyche, for the soul, whatever term they want to use, is acceptance. People want to be accepted. You know what it's like? You You walk into a new church, you want to be accepted. You start a new school, you want to be accepted. Start a new job, you want to be accepted. And, and that, that need that the, 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 the unregenerate, unsaved world has seen is just a microcosm of the magnification of our need for acceptance in God. It just shows what's behind that from a spiritual point of view. And here we read that our position is that we are accepted in him. Made accepted in Him. There are no caveats with this either. We cannot argue with this. When we are placed in the glorious body, when we are saved and placed in Christ, you are accepted. Now you may not feel acceptable, but the truth theologically is that in Him you're accepted. Why? His life for yours. When God looks on you, he sees Christ. Christ is accepted, always accepted by the Father. That's who you are in him. Accepted. I know many people struggle with this. We live in a society that just tells us that we we work and then we get the recognition for that. We do and then we get that's society. That's what it teaches. You have to work for it. The Bible teaches that when you're in him, you're accepted. End of. Full stop. I love um, the Sovereign Grace song. I think it's on our playlist, our uh, Spotify playlist, Milton's Spotify playlist. But there's a song that Sovereign Grace does called Jesus, Your Mercy. And there's one line in it. It comes in a little stanza, but the, the line, it just always just gets me when I think about acceptance in him. It says, Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. I have no defense. My guilt runs too deep. This is the line. The best of my works pierced your hands and your feet. The best of our works still put Christ to the cross. That there's no good thing that dwells within us. That's what the Bible says. There's none-righteous, no none not one. Our lives are marred by sin, they're a wreck. But Christ's perfect life, not based on anything that we've did, all on him was accepted by the Father, and in him we are accepted for eternity. Privilege. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what verse 6 says. God's glory is magnified in his grace. It was his plan to save us, to sanctify us, that is set us apart and ultimately seat us in glory. If you sit here as a believer this morning you think you're poor, your heart done by. I suggest you read Ephesians. You are the most privileged people on this earth, because we're in him. So we're placed in this glorious body by the Father. Secondly. It's purchased by the Son. So here uh, we bring in the Son. Verse number 7. We're going to see what Jesus did. Let let me just read these to you. Let these truths sink in. Verse 7, Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Look at the position we have. forgiven. Redeemed. Accepted by God. Permanent positional standing. A lot of peace this morning. Permanent positional standing. You cannot change this if you're in Him. Now we do our best, don't get me wrong, with our behaviors. But the truth is, you cannot change who you are. You have redemption, you have forgiveness through him and ultimately through his blood. He died that you might have. In the Old Testament, redemption by two means. First means by power, demonstrated in Exodus. God displayed his power, he redeemed, he brought that people out of Egypt. The second uh, example in the Old Testament of redemption is by purchase. Think about Ruth. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, he's introduced in Ruth 2.1 as a mighty man of wealth. A rich man could redeem. A powerful man could redeem because redemption was a costly business. And if you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, is there anyone who is more powerful? No. Is there anyone that has more riches than the creator himself? No. What does Paul tell us, 2 Corinthians 8 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The Redeemer had to leave the glory of heaven, come down to earth, walk and live amongst us, live that life, go to the cross, suffer the agony of crucifixion, be beaten, be mocked, be rejected, to be spat upon, Endure the sting of ridicule. Horror of being made sin. Suffer God's wrath. For us. That we might be redeemed. The price of our redemption was blood and it was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. That blood was infinitely worth more than all of humanity's blood put together. It doesn't pale in comparison in the skin, in the scales. That's our position now. That's what he's done for us. Redeemed. Forgiven. Accepted. Placed into a glorious body. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 gives a little bit of the purposes. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. What is the dispensation of the fullness of times? The dispensation of the fullness of times is the ushering in of the kingdom. That all the promises that are given are tied together, that are brought in. That ultimately time is consummated and we go into the eternal state. These are all these promises that God has made. They're all uh, fulfilled in Christ, brought together in Christ. This is what it says, verse 10. He may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, even in him. Gather together, headed up, brought in. Romans eleven thirty six: For of him, through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's all in Christ. God has no plan, program, purpose that does not ultimately rest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent, above all, beyond all. In the fullness of the dispensation of times, verse 10, he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. Constantly in him, in him, in him. Verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated, so it's about the inheritance, about what to come. Being predestined according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Understand, and predestined here is in the context of the predestined we've had before. What's the predestined? To the adoption, to the sum placement, to all the treasures of heaven, spiritual blessings that we poured out upon the church when we meet him and we see him not salvation. no oh, salvation's in there. This is the privilege that lies ahead. Why who worketh all things of the counsel of his own will. Why is he doing this? Because he wants to and he's sovereign and he can do what he wants to do and he has chosen in his grace and his mercy for all those that are in Christ, he is determined all of us will receive the spiritual and eternal blessings in Christ Jesus that are talked about in the world—that we will be co-heirs with Him, we will rule and reign with Him. Why? Because God has graciously decided it be so, and nobody can say a word against a sovereign God. Verse twelve: that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first. Trusted in Christ. The trust here is connected to what lies ahead. It's not just the trust of salvation, but it's the trust of what's coming. That I trust him. That no matter how out of control things are, no matter how difficult things are, no matter how hard things are, I trust him that he is coming again that his promises will be fulfilled. And that we should be to the praise of his glory. That his grace should magnify his glory And we should magnify that to others. That we serve a God who is glorious and gracious and has given us more than we deserve. We can't even get into the depths of how much more we get. And that should help us sing a sweeter song in the world. We're not downtrodden. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be constantly down. Doesn't mean life's not difficult, but ultimately, we trust in him. He is our blessed hope, and we should live to the praise of his glory. So our placing in this glorious body, planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, and then finally, it's preserved by the Spirit. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13, you'll see what the Holy Spirit does. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, In whom also, after that you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It seals you at the moment of your salvation. That's what it, it, and it differentiates from your trust, your life in Christ, from that beginning of salvation, where you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 14 is why the Holy Spirit does it, which is the earnest of our inheritance. That word earnest means down payment or deposit. Of our inheritance. So again, it's going back to the son placement, the adoption, that we will receive our glorified bodies and all the glories that go with that. And it says the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the comfort that has come and is in you is the deposit for what will come, that you are a child of God. You are His, because that's what the seal of the Spirit signifies. Number one, it signifies ownership. When you have the seal of God upon you, it signifies that you are God's. And if you think about sealing, what it used to be—the the process, you know, on documents or whatever—you've all seen the movies. You know, if you've watched Robin Hood or any of the kind of medieval things, what will the king do with a document? And he'll put the wax on it and he'll put his what seal on it, and it's not to be opened. It signifies ownership that belongs to the king. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19, you don't have to turn there. says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone name the name of Christ apart from iniquity. This is the seal of God, that you are owned by God. And the Bible tells us that at the moment of your salvation, you're sealed with the spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit dwells in you as a deposit, a down payment to say that you belong to God and ultimately you will have all of it at one point. The adoption will be yours. The glorified body will be yours. There's ownership in the seal. There's identification in the seal. Again, you know that deposit element that even when you pay a deposit in something, it's yours. It's not paid in full from that concept, but it is yours. You're determined that that belongs to you. Nobody else can come in and take that away from you because you put your deposit down on it. Ownership, identification. The seal of God also brings this, and I want you to get this, security. Because the, the illustration of, the, of the, uh, you know, the kind of scrolls that were sealed by um, you know, the kings of old, They could be broken. But the seal of God is unbreakable because it's held by the one who is all powerful. You read about this in the book of Revelation. Turn to Revelation 7, verse number 4. This is the sealing of the 144,000. There's a lot of seals happening in the book of Revelation, but they are secure. Uh, Revelation 7 verse 4 I heard a number of them which were sealed and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel and you can read down there they're all sealed what's that mean? they're protected by God they're kept by God get into Revelation a bit later on and you know there's seals in there and the scrolls that cannot be opened except by God himself the Lord Jesus Christ the seal of God is secure. I want you to get that this morning. Why? Because this is important in the assurance of your salvation, that you are a child of God, but you're not a full son. The adoption's coming. But can I lose that? And we live in a world today where people will try and teach you, yes, you can. That if you're works do not live up to your position then you are in danger of losing your salvation but here we see the seal of god and the seal of god is secure no man can break it jesus himself says doesn't he that i am in my father's hand you're in my hand and i'm in my father's hand and no man can pluck you security security And we need to understand the assurance of our salvation. Because once you understand the security of your salvation, you'll have the assurance. So the security of your salvation is based on Christ. That when you're in him, you can never be out of him. That you have the seal of God, the spirit of promise upon you. That's security, that's theological, based on what the Bible says. Assurance of salvation is simply this. You accepting what God has said. Security is the doctrine. Assurance is the practice. Because God has said, you will never leave me nor forsake me. Because God has said that I am in his hands. Because God said he knows me. Because I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ, I am made accepted in the beloved. I am in Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He doesn't see me. Therefore, I am never, ever going to be removed from the presence of God again. The assurance is simply living that out. Understanding that, do you know what? I had a bad day. You know what? I've fallen on my face. But God in his grace, Ephesians, has made me accepted in the beloved. That he has seen all that. Remember the time thing. He's seen it all. Does it excuse it? No. Should we learn from it? Yes. Should we repeat it? No. That's an abuse of grace. But the theological fact is, it will not change who you are in Christ. That's grace. Think about Peter. I mean, he failed big time, right? Failed and he failed and he failed. He denied the Lord. He's been carried away to be crucified and he says, oh, I don't even know him. In fact, he blasphemes. I mean, that's failure big time. Big time. But there's a message at the resurrection that says, go and tell the disciples and Peter... The Bible points to the fact that Jesus met with Peter privately, not recorded, ever before he meets him in John 21 on the seashore. What's he telling them? He says, in me, Peter, you're forgiven. You're accepted in me. That actually, it's not about your works. It's about my work. Assurance of salvation is simply accepting that what Christ did is enough and it's full and it's final. Why do we accept that? Because that's what the Bible tells us. So even if we don't feel it, we get back to the doctrine, that's why doctrine is important, and we hold to it and say, You know what? I don't feel like I'm saved, but I know I am. I'm accepted in the beloved. When they were, I've shared this before, but you know it's a perfect illustration of assurance of salvation. When they were making the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, no safety devices. You look at the old pictures of, where, you know, it's not like today. You can't even go up a ladder without a hazmat suit on. It's, it's mental. Health and safety's gone mad. But you know, back in those days, there was literally no health and safety. I'm sure you've seen the pictures of those building the you know, skyscrapers where they're just like up I don't know how high without a, a rope or a safety when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge 23 men fell to their deaths for the final part of the project they brought in a large net below and 10 men fell into it and were, were saved from certain death but the interesting fact that they said was that productivity went up 25% because people knew the net was there and this is what I want to say to you that making the, the connection between security of salvation and assurance of salvation is essential to live out the Christian life. That you know God has got you. And then you go forward. Because if you live in a place where you think that your uh, acceptance by God depends upon you, then you're going to get stuck in a rut, in a valley, in the pit, thinking I'm not good enough, God won't use me, I'm not forgiven, I'm not loved, I'm not accepted, and effectually you'll not go forward, you'll just go back. Once you understand that God loves you perfectly because of Christ Jesus and you're in him, therefore you're eternally secure and safe. It allows you to pick yourself up, (laughs) repent, say sorry to God and go forward in the grace and the goodness of God knowing that none, none, that's what Paul says in Romans, can separate you from the love of God. So when we think about this, let's, let's wrap it up this morning. You think about this placing into the glorious body of Christ the church. It's planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, it's preserved by the Spirit so we see the Trinity, the Godhead body, the fullness of God in this, in our placing in Christ, in the body. Again, this is the heart of Christianity that God's plan for us was to be in Him. To fellowship with Him. That's from the garden on. That sin Marred that, it separated us, and God, in His great love, made a way that we could go back to that. And once we accept that way, we repent of our sins, trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we enter into the glorious body, and we can never, ever leave again. God will not allow it. And He's sovereign. It's all about Him, folks. And your position in Him. Your position in Him brings about purpose that we should be to the praise of his glory and that is surrounded by privilege that one day we will experience the sun placing, the full adoption and all that is Christ will be ours. His riches, are riches. His power, our power. His position, our position. Where he is, we will be. That's what lies ahead. So as we've unpacked Ephesians, I want to leave you with kind of two points of application and and we'll wrap up. I want to say to you that the Go Deeper sheets are in the foyer. I'll put it out on the WhatsApp and PDF as well, just for you to spend some time in this during the week. Ask some questions of yourself, reflect, and think about the goodness and grace of God. But here's a two-point of application that I want to put to you this morning. If you take nothing else away, I want you to take this, that if you are in Christ, if you know him as your saviour, number one, that is your identity. Not in your performance, not in your popularity, Not in your productivity, not in your prominence. Your identity is in him. All of it. Number two, when you're in him, you have that glorious identity. But that identity brings with it position, child of God, to be fully a son of God, purpose, and ultimately privilege. Now if we remember that, And we walk in that. We will show others Christ Jesus. We will live lives that are full of grace and joy and peace. Because of who we are in him. The identity we have, the position, the purpose, the privilege. That we're placed in a glorious body. Planned by the Father. Purchased by the Son. Preserved by the Spirit. What a glorious, glorious body that we're upon.